welcome to the latest episode of the ETF Show podcast. So today I'm joined by Brendan Ahern, the Chief Investment Officer at Crane Shares, which is a China specialist ETF issuer. So Brendan is in charge of the firm's research, education and investment outreach. So hopefully today he can help shed some light on investing with ETFs in China. So to start, uh, I thought maybe we could look at, uh, if you could explain maybe the history of index and passive investing in China and then how Crane Shares fits into this. Well, I th- it's a, that's a great question, Tom, because if, if we went back to uh, 2000, uh, China was only 6.5% of MSCI emerging markets, despite being about 20% of uh, the EM uh, GDP. Uh, if we fast forward to 10 years, China went from 65 to 17% of MSCI emerging markets. And today um, it's almost 40%. And we believe that the path for China to be about 50% of emerging markets probably will take about three to five years. And looking out a decade, it could be uh, even north of 50, probably closer to 60% of MSCI emerging markets. So so ultimately um, our greatest value add at, at Crane Shares is trying to provide a balanced perspective on China's economy and capital markets, um, just because investors are going to need a friend in the China business, and we endeavor to earn that trust. So um, maybe we start with some of the basics too. So one of the things I think a lot of investors get confused about uh, when it comes to investing in China is the many different share categories. So you know your A shares, H shares. Would you be able to kind of explain and break down these major categories, differences, and what investors need to know? Yeah, there's a real alphabet soup of Chinese share classes. You have red chips, which are uh, state-owned enterprises listed in Hong Kong. Uh, But you have A shares, which are uh, Shanghai and Shenzhen listed companies. You have N shares, which are U.S. listed companies. So so part of part of the, the difficulty when working with investors is investors will often say, well, I've, I've invested in China and it's not done well. And um, ultimately, uh, that investors have to be very careful on, on what is their definition of China, because you, you ultimately have Chinese companies listed in the A share market, which is the Shanghai and Shenzhen, predominantly owned by investors in China. Uh, Hong Kong listed Chinese companies have historically been the definition of China, but we're seeing these A shares added to that definition. And then you have the U.S. listed companies, companies like Alibaba and JD.com and Pinduoduo and others. Those those companies weren't actually added to the definition of China from MSCI until 2015 and 2016. So, so ultimately, I think an, an element of, of crane shares, besides of our focus on um, the economy and capital markets, but, but is also helping investors navigate this alphabet soup of Chinese share classes, as well as the, the whole host of, of different stock exchanges that these companies list on. And we've tried to really create our suite of China-focused ETFs to, to help, help make that easy, to try to give, you know, do a lot of that work for investors. So I was wondering too, so obviously, uh, in, I think it was 2018 when you saw Chinese A-shares, the domestic listed ones, added to, to some MSCI indices. I was wondering if you could explain about that, but then also 
the China A shares index is still run by MSCI. And so, you know, these, these are two different indexes that run in parallel with quite different exposure, but investors might not necessarily kind of get the difference between the two when they're trying to look and compare performance or say any of your ETFs or any other products. Could you kind of break down what, how the MSCI broad China index compares now to the MSCI China A shares index? Yeah, yeah. So, so certainly uh, Chinese A shares, uh, Shanghai and Shenzhen listed companies, um, MSCI's definition of, of Shanghai and Shenzhen names is, is the MSCI China A. So, so MSCI historically did not include the stocks within the MSCI China A. And I'll just use our ticker just as a reference, KBA. Um, uh, KBA is our USITS, uh, London-listed uh, MSCI China A ETF. The stocks within KBA weren't included in broader indices like MSCI Emerging Markets or um, MSCI China because there was lots of restrictions on foreign ownership, foreign access, uh, being able to repatriate, uh, really bring your money out of China. But uh, those those rules have really largely gone away due to the advent of Stock Connect. So Stock Connect is a uh, trading platform based in Hong Kong uh, that allows foreign investors to gain access to about 80% of the Shanghai and Shenzhen uh, market cap. And Interactive Brokers is unique in, in providing investors access uh, through through Stock Connect. Uh, one, one very unique, um, very forward-thinking, uh, forward-looking part of Interactive is is uh, you can access those Chinese A shares uh, through Interactive Brokers. At at the same time, um, MSCI's definition is nearly 500 stocks. So so with a single keystroke, you can own those Chinese A shares. Now, because of Stock Connect, MSCI added um, uh, in 2018, they did 5% of the market cap of the Chinese, their definition of Chinese A shares. And then in 2019, they added 15% more market cap. So, so it's kind of confusing in some ways how they did it. They they added all of all of the names that meet their definition of large cap and mid caps, which is almost 500 stocks. But they they've only added 20 percent of their weight. They've not given us a timeline for when the other 80 percent can happen. But ultimately, you know, we listed KBA um, usage just with the idea of if you know what's going to happen, you, you can gain access to these companies in in, in advance. Um, and so KBA gives you that full exposure. So within MSCI emerging markets, um, they represent only about 5% of um, MSCI emerging markets, the Chinese A shares. But we know at full inclusion, they'll represent nearly 20% of the benchmark. So, so there's a lot more China coming. And that's part of our rationale behind having that. If China's at about 40% of EM today. Getting these Chinese A shares is going to raise that percentage to um, almost 50%. And I, I think that'll happen over the next three to five years. So uh, moving on to some of your uh, specific products um, that we have on, on, on our platform, 
So uh, one that obviously stands out is the Crane Shares MSCI China ESG leaders. I was wondering if you could uh, kind of explain this uh, product and, and maybe how the ESG screen portfolio differs from from the, the the benchmark MSCI China indices you were just talking about. So so MSCI, um, which which has almost uh, I think it's just about fourteen trillion of both active and passive assets. Um, really, really is, I believe, the most important company in finance today because they do dictate, you know, 14 trillion of is how it's actually invested, both active and passive. And, and the MSCI um, is also become not only the leader of, of say, uh, one of the leaders in, in indexing, but but around ESG investing. And, and KESG, our crane shares, MSCI, China ESG leaders, applies the same standard of MSCI's ESG methodology to China. We then we then are looking at the most highly ranked companies uh, within within that category. And and I think one of the interesting things that we've noticed is that if you looked at in 2020, um, the the leaders in the United States actually underperformed the S&P 500. But in the case of China, these ESG leaders that we hold within KESG actually outperformed MSCI, MSCI China. So, so we're actually seeing uh, a part of the rationale is that, that if you think about a lot of uh, low scoring ESG companies, they come from higher polluting industries, if it's energy, materials. And so, so last year, we had this strong growth market and KESG uh, be, for having a lower allocation to some of these uh, value, more uh, materials, industrials, uh, led to a, a strong outperformance versus MSCI China, kind of a unique opportunity. Uh, another one of uh, probably the most popular of your ETFs on our platform is uh, KWEB, the Crane Share CSI China Internet ETF. Um, it, it seems to differ quite a lot from the other kind of um, China tech ETFs too. I was wondering if you could explain the portfolio behind it, the overseas index attracts everything else. Yeah, yeah. So it's very similar to where that outperformance of KESG versus MSCI China was due to that that growth gearing. You can almost think of 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 KWA being pure growth, gross security. So, so you know, we first listed KWEB um, in the United States back in August of 2013. Uh, we then listed KWEB um, LN in in London in uh, November of 2018. And I think this again goes back to I often, you know, we often speak to investors who say, you know, I list, I, I invested in China, I didn't do well. Well. You know, I think this is where when you look, you, you almost have to pop the hood of of your ETF as part of your due diligence and see what kind of sector exposure. And I think the definition of China historically has been very much geared to old China, um, heavyweights to financial, energy, industrials, materials. Um, and and KWeb uniquely provides this growth exposure. You know, we, we have no no energy, no industrials, no materials. Um, it really is uh, the uh, internet companies are the transmission engines for domestic consumption as it occurs online, which is 25% of all retail sales happens online in China. 
um, you you really have an adoption of uh, your mobile phone is your electronic purse or wallet in China today. And so so the K-Web companies are big, big beneficiaries of China's uh, growing urban middle class, which, according to the Brookings Institute, spends seven trillion annually. Just just uh, tremendous is the, the size of China's domestic consumption story. And K-Web, the K-Web holdings are really the companies that allow that to happen. What was that? You said transmission engine of, of uh, consumption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I call I, it the, the... nice phrase. <laughs> um, so sticking to the topic of Chinese tech, obviously there's been a lot of news this year about the kind of supposed crackdown on, on some of the big name companies, uh, notably Alibaba by the Chinese government. Do you want to explain what's going on here and, inve- and if investors should be worried if at all? Yeah, I mean, certainly it's it's been something that's been weighing on investor sediment is um, historically the companies within K-Web um, they don't they don't like one another, uh, that they compete very, very fiercely. And in some ways, they don't they don't they they don't play very nice in the sandbox. So they do everything they can to hurt their competitors. Um, and and what's what's happening is the regulators in China are saying, you know, you might not like each other. And you're doing everything you can to hurt the competitiveness of your competitors. Um, but that actually hurts consumers. It, it, it hurts the companies that sell on your platform. So in e-commerce, those anti-competitive practices are all going away, just going away. Uh, that historically, Alibaba has done everything it can to hurt its competitors like JD.com or Pinduo Duo and vice versa. So, so this anti-competitive rules are going away. Um, at the same time, we're seeing another leg to the regulation around fintech companies that by calling yourself a fintech company, uh, you've avoided being regulated like a bank for lending activity. So if you just said, hey, I'm, 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 I'm facilitating domestic consumption by short-term loans, well, that kind of sounds like what banks do and banks get heavily regulated. So, so those companies like Ant Group, uh, like Tencent's fintech unit, um, uh, those elements within the companies are going to be regulated like a bank, which means they're going to have to hold about 30% of all of the loans they originate, no different than the banks do. So, so this, what it, it has really weighed on the sediment of the securities, Tom, at the same time, as we finish the Q1 earnings for the K-Web companies, the results have simply been in, been really, really strong. I know that's not a technical term, but um, I would argue that uh, the K-Web companies are some of the fastest growing companies. And the Q1 earnings, which are taking place during, during this regula- regulatory oversight, are still producing fantastic revenue and earnings per share growth rate. So we think we think the market's been overly concerned um, on this issue. Uh, also, uh, the tech, a lot of the tech companies seem to kind of fit into the the wider aims of of, of uh, Xi Jinping and, and the Chinese government um, with the kind of idea of the China Dream. And, and you mentioned earlier transition from old China to new China. Um, so I was wondering if you could give a bit more background on this and kind of what the kind of broad long-term goals of, of the Xi administration and the Chinese government and what it means for China's economy and companies in the future. 
Well, China, China wants to continue to raise domestic consumption. Uh, the service sector is already more than 50% of GDP. Uh, that you know, investors often think of China as uh, being export manufacturing driven, but the reality is uh, the facts, the data tell us that over 50% of GDP comes from the service sector today. Um, and so, you know, China had learned during the global financial crisis that if you're dependent upon export-driven manufacturing, if, if you're trading partners, if it's the UK or Europe or Japan or the United States, um, if they catch a cold, you're going to get it as well. So, so domestic consumption is the raising of it is, is very aligned with China having more control over the economy. Um, and so we, we see, a, we believe, a lot of supportive policies on raising domestic consumption. And one of the things that's coming up that is going to be a catalyst is the rollout of the dig- digital RMB, which we think will happen by the end of this year based on the pilot programs taking place. This is the, uh, the, the digital currency issued by the, the central bank. Exactly, exactly. So right now they're running a multitude of pilot tests. Um, a lot of those pilot tests are being run in conjunction with uh, both Tencent's digital wallet uh, called uh, WePay, as well as uh, Ant Group's Alipay. So this is not going to be the end of digital wallets. Um, but why why it's going to be a big factor in, in raising domestic consumption is, is that it provides many targeted stimulus that you could you the government can say, you know, a lot of poor people, you know, they need, you know, we need to raise their standard of living. Uh, so why not give them digital reembi? It can only be spent um, on, say, home appliances, and it's going to expire in two months. So if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. So, so the government is going to be able to provide much, much more targeted stimulus to the elements of the society that really need the stimulus. Um, and I, I think I think this is something that will will certainly um, help the K Web companies sell more goods in in the future. Uh, so another big story in regards to China obviously is the, the trade war of the U.S. and, and we'll, we'll come back to that uh, more broadly in, in a minute, but. More specifically, um, I want to ask you about the kind of the increasing tension seems to have led to some U.S. pension funds and even index providers to call for the exclusion of Chinese equities. Uh, I was wondering if you could give a kind of explanation of what, what's going on here. So at, at the end of 2020, uh, there was a number of, of executive orders um, that said U.S. investors weren't allowed to invest in, in companies tied to China's military. Uh, this was done kind of uh, in the waning hours of the previous administration, and 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 there was not a lot of transparency or communication on this. Uh, so many index providers, including MSCI um, asset managers like ourselves, simply said, you know, it's it's very difficult to understand what what we need to do. Um, and so we simply eliminated those securities from our holdings. Index providers removed them from their indices. More recently, we've seen uh, the, the regulatory body that usually is in charge of this. It's called the Office of Foreign Asset Control. 
uh, just recently was given charge of this. So, so you know, we immediately have gotten a, a lot more clarity, communication, uh, transparency on on the do's or don'ts around this issue. In fact, for companies uh, that that we um, index providers like MSCI had thought needed to be removed from their indices actually came off the list. So, so we don't think this will go away. Um, at the same time, adhering to it, it's going to be uh, much, much easier. Obviously, not directly related, but kind of how, how do you see this fitting in with the, the increased push by China to expand its own uh, stock exchanges? So obviously, you had the, the Starboard uh, launch in 2019. And kind of can this be seen in, in a context of, of decoupling from US-China, not wanting to be reliant on, on US capital for, for funding for some of their growth companies? Or is it more kind of an idea that, um, you know, the, the new companies are, are intangible, heavy kind of um, companies which can't really rely on, on banks in the traditional way manufacturers would. So actually, they want to modernize the, the financing internally anyway. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, the Starboard is, um, you know, I think it's, it, 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 it's, 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 it's a little bit of both. One would be, I think right now, uh, you're hearing about semiconductor shortages, that there's a small number of uh, companies, uh, particularly um, in Taiwan and South Korea, really do produce the vast majority of the world's semiconductors. And um, the consequence of work from home is we need desktops, laptops, mobile phones. Um, and, and there's just a, a global shortage for semiconductor chips. And that's true for British companies, but also Chinese companies. And so um, there has been a, there's been a push to try to develop a domestic semiconductor industry, um, and and a lot of those companies will list on. Uh, it's called the Starboard. Um, so so the Starboard really is uh, science and technology um, is is really built for growth innov- innovative companies, uh, an opportunity to raise capital from investors through an initial public offering. Uh, to fund fund their efforts, and this is very similar to reminds me of um, in the early 1970s. You know, the Nasdaq was was uh, really launched for the same same rationale that uh, you know there were very high listing standards, very high listing fees in the United States. Nasdaq was created to allow growth technology companies um, an opportunity to list. So. Um, I think the starboard is very similar that the China knows there's going to be technologies that their economy is going to need in the future. That can be semiconductor chips. It can be big data, cloud computing, biotech. Um, and the starboard was uniquely built to provide that venue. And uh, back in May, uh, we listed the first USITS ETF. Uh, that provides exposure to the star market, K-Star, K-S-T-R, L-N, uniquely provides exposure to these, really these growth companies within the A-share market that historically may, may have gone into uh, the K-Web, uh, uh, K-Web benchmark, which holds Hong Kong and U.S. names. So, so certainly very much growth geared. Um, you know, very much fast-growing companies. In 2020, these companies grew revenue 58%, expected to grow revenue in 2021, 65%. Uh, 
Um, like NASDAQ in the early 70s, I think this this will be volatile. Now, the PEs are quite high, um, and yet the, the forward-looking peg is about 1.7. So if the companies can continue to grow at this rapid rate that we've seen, it does justify those higher valuations. But investors should be aware that you're going to have to have a medium to long-term perspective with KSTAR that we do expect some volatility there. I suppose related to that, I just kind of want to frame the question this way to you. Uh, say like the next Alibaba or Tencent that's maybe still in, in an incubator somewhere in, in Shenzhen, when it when they do come to list on, on the market, uh, when, when they're mature enough, do you reckon they'll bother this time around with someone like Nasdaq or will they will it just be unquestionable they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna list on China or a Chinese exchange? I, I think they're apt to do both. And so the the mainland market is is very large. Um, at the same time, to garner global investors, they're, they're likely to still come to London, New York, or Hong Kong. So there, there is chatter about, you know, Ant Group potentially going public in 2022. Uh, more recently, uh, there's been chatter about ByteDance or uh, Didi. Um, so ByteDance, you know, we know globally as TikTok. Uh, Didi is the company, uh, kind of like the Uber of China. Um, and I think they'll do both. And, and why I think they'll do both is that they'll do what's likely to do a starboard listing to give access to domestic Chinese investors. At the same time, they're still going to want to raise money from global investors. And that that's, that's going to be more easily done um, through a London, New York or Hong Kong listings. So I think you'll see some dual listings. So, so back to the, the, the US-China trade war. So Trump's obviously gone. Uh, however, to anyone following the news, it's obviously not resulted in much more of a, a dovish attitude from the US towards China. So how do you see the, the next four years of, of the US, uh, of the Biden administration's relations with China playing out? Yeah, so one of, you know, this is an area we, we do follow. We're, I mean, we're, we're, we're investors by, by nature and we've kind of been, uh, forced to track political developments, uh, and that's something we want to do. Um, and I think I think this is where a lot a lot of the political rhetoric, um, you know, any relationship has peaks and it has valleys. Um, and yet, you know, in finance, everything we do is is data driven. Um, and and I think you know the rhetoric. Um, you know, I read the Wall Street Journal and Financial Times every day. You know, I probably if, if, you, if, you, if your sole source on China was was the media, uh, you, you probably would never have invested. And, and, and that's a shame because, you know, when you pull up a chart of, of say, K-Web, you know, over the last several years, you can see that we've had some very strong returns. Um, and, and I think, you know, the, there's a lot of political bark but there's tends to be very little bite to it. Um, and, and that's because the economies are highly intertwined. Um, you know, the, 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 the reality is that, you know, China is an incredibly important trade partner uh, for the United States and vice versa. And um, as much as, you know, the political rhetoric um, tends to tend to have a lot of bark to it. Um, there's really not not a lot of bite to it. 
And, and I think that, that provides a lot of opportunities for foreign investors to take advantage because um, ultimately the U.S. and China are highly, highly intertwined. The U.S. and the U.K. and Europe um, as well. And, um, you know, I, I just don't see that, that changing. Um, you know, here, here in the U.S. people say, oh, you know, we're, we're going to bring it all back. Well, you know, Asia has four billion people. And, and, and the factories are in Asia, not, not just because of lower wage, but if, if you're producing a widget, you want to sell it and uh, you know, manufacture it and ship it and get it to the biggest client base. And, and that's going to be Asia, not, not just China, but broader Asia. Those factories are not coming back. And, and I don't think anyone wants to be downwind of a coal smelter. Um, you, know, you know, China, like India, has paid a uh, severe consequence uh, environmentally um, for being the world's factory. And, and I, I don't think there's any aptitude or desire to um, to see that happening um, in England or here in the U.S. So, so perhaps to uh, sum up, Brendan, uh, why do you think China should be part of part of any investor's portfolio? I mean, ultimately, this is the, the world's second largest economy. You know, today uh, within MSCI, all country world, the United States is almost 60 percent. I think investors globally uh, are highly, highly under allocated to China, which is only about 5 percent of all country world. Um, and I think I think in order to make that investment with confidence, you know, you need to have the resources, the inputs to to make that that decision. And at Crane Shares, we, we endeavor to earn that trust by providing very, very, you know, we place a high emphasis on our research efforts. Um, uh, so we endeavor to earn the trust of investors because we, we do believe there's a tremendous opportunity um, in China or in the domestic consumption market uh, that K-Web takes advantage uh, for the new companies listing on the starboard like K-Star is investing in uh, for um, Chinese healthcare. Um, you know, we listed Cure on the London Stock Exchange, uh, China Healthcare, uh, but certainly also with access to the Chinese A share via KBA, and then certainly for those investors who are ESG focused with KESG. And so we have a suite of products. We'll be coming with more product on the London Stock Exchange in, in the months uh, to come. Um, but certainly, you know, China's not going away. And I think investors uh, can't, can't afford to ignore it. You go where the growth is, and China has growth. Thank you, Brendan. That was very interesting. Um, if anyone wants to hear more from Brendan on, on China, I definitely recommend checking out his China Last Night newsletter, which you can find on the Crane Shares website. Um, but anyway, please like and subscribe um, to, to, to II. And of course, you can find loads more investment insights and ideas at II.ek. I'll be back next time for another episode of the ETF show. Bye for now.